the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his, brother, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, his mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uziah. Uziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud is the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. Good evening. It's great to be with you tonight. Uh, great to be digging into Matthew chapter 1. Uh, it'll come, and I'll just have that passage. We just had a reason to I think if you're looking for a reason not to believe in Christianity, then Matthew chapter 1 has everything you need. Uh, just think about it. Uh, as we read it out, uh, it sounds out of touch, doesn't it? Uh, it's just a list of old, dead names. And 
Uh, can any one of us here uh, really say that you drift off at some point uh, during uh, the first half of that reading? Uh, it seems completely irrelevant to my life. Uh, these old people, these names seem pointless and it's just boring. And it's unbelievable, surely. An angel, a virgin bird. We're honestly meant to believe all that. Uh, it seems like when you read that from the front, that you're meant to just check your brains at the door, uh, ignore all reason, and just blindly uh, believe that this happened. And for many people, they're just going to say, I'm sorry, but I, it just sounds like make-believe. If you're looking for a reason to ignore Jesus, uh, you've come to the right place. Matthew chapter 1. So, why does he lead with that? Uh, it seems so off-putting for us, and yet Matthew thought that this was the perfect way uh, to start telling people about Jesus. This was how he starts his biography of Jesus' life. And so we have this dilemma. Uh, because on one hand, it sounds incredible or irrelevant, uh, but on the other hand, it comes from a reliable source who wants to tell us uh, about Jesus. Matthew was a contemporary of Jesus. Uh, he travelled around with him, saw his life, he probably would have known uh, Joseph and Mary. And he doesn't try and shape the story to make it more believable for us. So if you have those objections, uh, can I ask you, just uh, listen for 20 minutes. Uh, listen as we try and work through this passage on its own terms. Uh, to see what Matthew is trying to tell us about Jesus. Because I think that uh, maybe when you hear what he's saying, uh, maybe we'll be able to see our objections in a new light. Uh, we're going to start with the story that starts in verse 18 there, and we're going to come back around to the family tree at the end. And at some level, uh, that story is very accessible to us. That account of Jesus' birth... Uh, it's clearly written in our world, isn't it? There's an engagement, a pregnancy, and an adoption. And we're going to look at the, the, uh, yeah, that in three parts. So, the engagement, the pregnancy, the adoption. There's a problem with the engagement, there's a purpose to the pregnancy, and there's a promise in the adoption. So we're going to look through those three parts. Firstly... Uh, the story tells us that there's a problem with the engagement. Now, right there in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That was a scandal. That kind of thing is still a scandal. An engaged girl uh, these days might get pregnant. Uh, but it's still a scandal if the fiancé doesn't know anything about <laughs> And imagine the level of scandal in a strictly uh, religious culture like first century Palestine. Just the shock of it. They would have thought that she's either been unfaithful or that she's been raped. And the only way to work out which of the two was, would have been a messy public trial. And so Joseph, where are we here? He's uh, a good man. And he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want to expose her like that. And so read verse 19. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was faithful to the law, and the law said that in those circumstances uh, that he would need to divorce Mary to end that engagement. Uh, but he makes up his mind to do it quietly, to avoid the, the scandal and the shame uh, for Mary. That's the problem with the engagement. But Joseph doesn't go through with that plan because there's a purpose to the pregnancy. That's point two. There's a purpose to the pregnancy. Uh, but that purpose is not something that Joseph could just work out on his own. Uh, it takes an angel to reveal it to him. Have a look at verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells him that this is from the Holy Spirit, that God himself has caused this pregnancy. And he's done it with a purpose. And you see it in the name. Uh, the name Jesus uh, was a version of Joshua, which means God saves. And in those days, Jesus was quite a common name, as common today as Joshua. Um, so Joshua is still a popular name, and it's the same name. If you don't know Joshua, Josh, you have the same name as Jesus, God saves. Uh, but look at what kind of saving Jesus. It says that he will save his people from their sins. The Bible uses the word uh, sin to talk about our attitude of independence from God, in opposition to God and his rule over us. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a situation where you have a family uh, with loving parents who uh, shower love and affection and provide everything for uh, their children. And they say, we love you, uh, kids, uh, here's how we want you to live in our family, to help you to thrive. And uh, the teenager says, fine, I'll move out. Uh, that's what it's like. That independence, I'll do it my own way. Uh, except there's nowhere to move out from uh, in God's world. You're created by God, you live in God's world. And so we end up like angry teenagers stomping around the house, trying to be independent, but messing it up, doing it our own way, hating our parents. They're still there, but we're ignoring them now. And our sins are what comes from that attitude of trying to do things our own way. Uh, and if everyone is trying to do that, if everyone is trying to do things their own way, then of course we hurt each other. Of course we uh, break our world. And the Bible says that God's angry about that. That that is our biggest problem. That we've made an enemy of God and He's angry at us for the way that we've treated Him and the way that we've treated our world. But somehow, the purpose of this pregnancy is to rescue that, from the consequences of our foolish independence from God, to save us from his anger at the way we behave. Jesus means God saves. 
And if that's true, if that is true, then that is incredible news. But there's even more about the purpose of this pregnancy. Have a look at verse 22. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Uh, this is the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, this is his other name, uh, like a nickname, uh, Emmanuel. Uh, it's not just that Jesus is going to save uh, from sin through this child, uh, he takes it a step further. That this is going to be God with us. He's going to do it personally. This is uh, in this child, God himself is stepping into the world to change his world, to fix what is broken. Now, if you object to this story on the grounds of reasonableness, uh, you really have to narrow it down, don't you? Uh, which bit do you object to? Is it the angel appearing? Is it the Holy Spirit conception? Is it the fulfilment of a 700-year-old prophecy? Or is it the bit about God being born? Which is the most unusual? It's, it's all unexpected. It's all out of the order. Sounds incredible. But there's nothing really unreasonable about it, I would say. If you consider the premise, if you think that there is or there might be a God who created the world, then I think it's totally reasonable to think that he might interfere with that world. I think that's logic. It's unexpected, maybe, uh, but it's not unreasonable to send an angel to bring about conception, uh, to be born and to act in our world. God can do that if he wants. If it's his world, and especially if that world might need interfering with. Uh, so a good question to ask is, do you think the world is as it should be? Do you think the world is as it should be? Now your part of the world might be going okay, past last semester, uh, on track for a good degree, a good job. Uh, things are looking okay. But can we really look around our world and say that things are as they should be? That we do a good job of sorting out our differences, of solving our problems? Our world produces enough food for everyone right now, and yet millions die of malnutrition. I, I actually think that the Bible picture of sin, that that we reject God, that selfish independence. I think that fits reality perfectly. That's the world that I see around me. And it feels like God does need to insert himself into that situation. And Matthew chapter 1 says that that's exactly what he did. That's the purpose to, the, to this pregnancy. So I went through the, the story. The problem with the engagement... The purpose to the pregnancy, and finally, a promise in the adoption. Joseph, I think, is really the hero of this story. Uh, uh, when he could have made Mary the object of public ridicule, he was probably feeling uh, shocked, hurt himself. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't uh, shame her like that. And now, in fact, he's willing to take the opposite. Uh, he's willing to take some of the public 
disgrace of being engaged to a pregnant girl uh, on himself. What would people have assumed was that situation? But have a look at uh, verse 24. After the angel appears to him, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. See, in taking Mary and naming Jesus, uh, Joseph uh, shows that he's trusting in God's plan, trusting in what God has said. But he's also filing for adoption. That's the effect of verse 25, when he names Jesus. Uh, notice that it's says that he gave him the name Jesus. It's not Mary, it's Joseph who names him. Uh, because in that time, uh, to, to name a child was to officially uh, take them on as your child. It was uh, a way of uh, filling out the paperwork for adoption of that child. Now, I've filled out the paperwork to name three children. Uh, Liana had finished the hard work, and I did the paperwork. Um, but... I have never sweated over a form as much as those three documents. That is, uh, it's a very stressful thing to do. Um, I must have checked the spelling of Persephone about a dozen times before I was willing to hand up on over. Uh, but when he names Jesus, uh, Joseph isn't just picking a name. He's taking him as his son. And actually that's crucial. For a first century Jew, that is the critical moment in the story. Not the angel, of course God uses his angels. Not the Holy Spirit conception, God can do that. Uh, not the prophecy of God with us. Uh, that's all fine. The decisive thing is will Joseph name Jesus and adopt him? Because Jesus can't be anything at all is not from Joseph's family tree. So now we're back uh, to the list at the start of the chapter. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah must belong to David's family line. Uh, so Jesus must be part of Joseph's family part of David's family. Now, we don't use the word Messiah uh, very much anymore. Occasionally, you'll hear like a sports person described in that way. Often, they'll say he's not going to be the Messiah uh, because you know, he'll be good, but they're not gonna, that one player is not going to make the whole difference. Uh, but the word Messiah comes from the Old Testament, in fact. Uh, that reading from 1 Kings, uh, where Solomon is anointed with oil, that's where the word comes from. Messiah just means anointed one. And it was the name for Israel's king, because that was the coronation ceremony, was to have oil poured over your head. And so the Messiah is Israel's king. Uh, just as a, an aside, Christ, uh, as in Jesus Christ, uh, Christ is the identical word. Uh, Christ is the word from Greek, and Messiah is the word from Hebrew, and so English has ended up with two versions of the exact same word. So you can use them interchangeably, that's fine. 
Uh, but for God's people, uh, the Messiah was the focus of all their hopes and dreams, this king that God would send. I guess that's where the, the sporting uh, Messiah idea comes from. This, this one who will, who will bring to life all of the hopes stored up for a people. Because God's king was going to bring God's blessing back to his people. Uh, God's blessing. And that's why uh, this genealogy in Matthew connects him specifically to Abraham and David there in verse 1. Because uh, those two guys are the focus of God's promises in the Old Testament. God promised Abraham that he would uh, make him a great nation and that through his family, all of the world, all of the nations would be blessed through Abraham, through someone from Abraham's family. And he promised David that it would be someone from his family line and that God would establish a throne for, a kingdom that would last forever. And so uh, this opening sentence from Matthew is just a barn murder. Unbelievable, son of David, son of Abraham. It means that this is Jesus, God's king, who bring God's blessing back to the world. Absolutely scintillating stuff if you know how to look at it. Uh, in Albert Camus' novel, The Play, uh, one of the main characters, Joseph Brand, spends uh, the whole book writing a novel, except he doesn't. He always gets stuck on the first sentence. Um, because he wants it to be perfect. And so he keeps on uh, writing it and rewriting it, uh, but he can never get it the way that he wants. Now, this is what he says to his friend, Dr. Rue. He says, What I really want, Doctor, is this. On the day when the manuscript reaches the publisher, I want him to stand up, after he's read it through, of course, and say to his staff, Gentlemen, hats off. The, uh, the first readers of Matthew's Gospel, uh, that's what the opening sentence is. Gentle. That's all. It could not be more perfect than this. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. The one who's going to bring God's blessing back to the world. The one who's going to be our King. And will establish God's rule over the world. He is the focus of all their hopes and dreams. And so looking back at the story, that's why Joseph's adoption of Jesus is so important, because it places him in David's family line, and in the line of Abraham. And that's the promise in the adoption, that God is keeping his promises. His promises to Abraham to bless the world, and his promises to David, that he will establish a king from his family line. And in that is, is the promise uh, that he'll bless the world by dealing with the root problem of sin. That he's going to deal with sin by stepping into the world himself. God himself is going to step in and deal with the problem of sin. Now, having looked at that passage, you might uh, still have objections or questions. And if so, that's great. Welcome to Uni Church. Um, you'll fit right in. We have uh, questions most weeks at the end of the uh, sermon. Uh, we love asking questions about the Bible and what it's saying. But I hope you'll see uh, from what we've thought about tonight that it is reasonable for a creator God to step into the creation 
step into his world. If there's something wrong with it, it's reasonable that he might do something about that. And uh, really, as you think about it, how else could he do it and make it any less remarkable than this? In many ways, it's, it's unremarkable. It's in scandal, in a birth and adoption. It's very uh, normal and simple. Uh, but I hope you also see uh, the excitement of this birth. That if this is true, if Jesus was born like this into the line of David, as God's king, come to deal with sin, I hope you see what that means for our world. That there's hope for us. That there's hope that we might restore our relationship with our Father God. That we might uh, come back under His rule and so live with one another and love one another in the way that we were meant to. There's hope for our world. And I hope that you'll be willing uh, to spend uh, this semester looking more at this biography of Jesus. Will you do that? Will you give this semester uh, to reading through Matthew? Thinking about it, uh, maybe you want to read through yourself, maybe with a friend, uh, and keep coming along to Uni Church. Uh, listen online. But consider this man Jesus. Uh, consider this one who Matthew says is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Uh, see if he really is God with us. Come to save us from our sins.